The Social Housing Roundtable is the creation of my next guest, Matt Baird. He has 10 years experience recruiting in this sector and understands firsthand the issues that surrounds tenants, providers and the homeless. His aim is to collaborate with as many organisations involved in affordable housing across the UK so that a change can be made to help everyone in need of a home. Let's find out more. Matt, welcome to Tea Time with me, Ali Monjak. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. It's uh, yeah, going well so far. It's been a busy week, but can't complain. Hope you're well too. I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, as I was saying before we came on, I just you know I've had I've had one of those days yesterday, but you know I'll, I'll get over it. It's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. So. I mean, some really exciting stuff going on in your life right now. And, uh, you know, talk about the, the fact that you've had a career, haven't you, in social housing recruitment for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I fell into it, as many people do, both recruitment and social housing. I remember someone telling me on my, my first day, oh, we're going to get you onto our social housing division. I thought, how do you recruit for tower blocks? Didn't really know much more than that. And then over the last 10 years, completely fell in love with the sector um not just the recruitment side but what social housing can deliver i set up my own business just over a year ago now in, in partnership with a company called district four um that will give kind of back office support but allow me to to very much set up my own recruitment agency um and the reason for that was because i wanted to make sure that when i was working with clients i was working with clients who were doing things the right way Social housing is such a powerful sector that not enough people know about. I don't think the voice of social housing is heard wide enough and people don't really understand how large the sector is and how much opportunity there is to work in such a wide variety of roles. But it's something which is incredibly uh, important to me. It's something that I've, I've just learned more and more. The, the tagline of social housing is uh, a commercial mind and a social heart. I think that really resonates with how I like to work because you've got to really kind of care about what you're doing and some of the work that social housing providers do despite huge lacks of funding and another lacks of opportunity sometimes is is incredible uh so yeah it's definitely a sector that I'm very glad I fell into uh but one that I want to try and help make change for and if I can use my recruitment voice and my LinkedIn you know connections that the, the fortunately very large section that I've got on, on LinkedIn and, and connections there to, to empower the voices and to bring people together to make change, then, then that's certainly what, uh, what I'd like to be doing next. Fantastic. That sounds like you're on a real mission to me. So, I mean, obviously there has been highlighted in, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not uh, sensitive about these things, but it was actually on ITV and some of the journalists there had sort of uncovered how bad some of the social housing settings were and you know problems with landlords who would not actually you know repair properties or get rid of mold and I mean some real shocking stuff right it's um you do see like I said you had the ITN and the ITV kind of stories that came through then recently you've had uh the young guy Quajo who's come forward and really kind of again highlighted a huge issue with the sector but those are and, th and this is where the difficulties lie there are thousands and thousands of housing associations in the uk as well as local authorities providing accommodation temporary accommodation elderly support learning difficulty support mental health support etc etc 
And yet the stories that always break are those about the negatives in the sector and the issues with housing and what's going on there. It's not to take away from what's going on. And when you notice some of the businesses that have some of the poorest stock, stock tends to be the term that people use in social housing to discuss the, uh, the properties that they own. When they're discussing the poorest stock and discussing the, the issues around it, it tends to be the very large organisations that are getting highlighted. Now, whether that's because they have more stock or not, you know, that's to be debated. But certainly, you know, L&Q came through, Clarion have come through, and these are big businesses with big, big voices in the, in the, in the social housing world. And I mean that in both terms, they are a business. You know, yes, they might be not for profit, they might have their own kind of stakeholders, etc. but they are a business. And when your business is unfortunately failing in some areas as they have been, and this isn't in any way, shape or form to, to cast shade or anything along those lines on, on what the big businesses are doing, because they also do an awful lot of brilliant work. But they are short, in, from, from what I gather, on either housing officers or frontline staff. In some places, you find a housing officer maybe looks after 500, 1,000 properties, something in that area. And of that, a small percentage will actually have regular support and regular help that they need, because a lot of people who live in social housing are actually fine. And there's a big stigma around social housing and people who live in it are, you know, somehow involved in drugs and alcohol and have mental health needs, etc. There isn't. The majority of people who live in social housing are A, brilliant people, but B, have no issues paying their rent or anything along those lines. They just live in affordable accommodation, which for so many people is difficult to find on its own these days. And yet there are also these horror stories of some of this terrible accommodation that is out there. And the debates go on in terms of where the money that gets pumped into these large organisations does go uh, and what is being done to change it because there was some acknowledgement I feel um, from a from a big perspective of as you hold our hands up and we've made a mistake but actually there wasn't in my opinion uh, enough of that uh, I don't feel there's enough accountability I don't feel there was enough people kind of come forward and say actually this is wrong, we have messed up, this is what we're doing now to fix it, or this is the report we're going to do, or this is the people we're going to hire to come in and fix these problems. It was more, oh, we know there's a problem, we were going to knock down that block anyway and replace it with X, Y, Z. Well, that's fine, but that's going to take years. So what are you doing now to fix these problems for the residents living in it? And you can say you're going to move them on to other accommodation or whatever that might be, but unless... You know, if, if it was me, I mean, and obviously I don't know, I've not worked in the, in, you know, at a business that size, but I would like someone to come forward and just take full accountability of being messed up. We've got this wrong. We're going to fix it. And I feel that would have been a stronger message throughout. Yes. And you do understand the problems having worked in it for 10 years. And I mean, you're obviously, you know, in your recruitment work, you are actually recruiting housing officers and people of that nature. I mean, how many positions are there to do with social housing that you recruit? It's, it's, it is, yeah, it is absolutely vast um, because social housing as, a, as an entire construct, it isn't just your council housing as it used to be called or anything on those lines. It covers domestic violence support and, and refuges. It covers mental health needs and services. You, you, I work with a lot of charities. So I've worked with MIND before in the Salvation Army and looked at their homelessness support. We know there's a big issue with homelessness in this country. So that in itself, you haven't got just support workers and people on kind of the front line dealing with that. We have people going out and trying to acquire property. So if you work in development or property acquisition, there's a whole area there. 
you've still got marketing, communications, HR, finance, that whole area that goes on. As you say, you've got your housing offices. You've also got assets. So you've got your asset managers, so people who look after the existing stock. And then that gets split into two areas. So you might work in kind of reactive repairs or you might work in planned repairs and planned maintenance and be involved in the growing and development of new properties. You could be out on the streets working with homeless teams or you could be sat in the back office talking through people who are coming in through the door saying, I need homelessness support, talking through the legal ramifications, everything that goes through with it. You've got planning permission often falls within social housing. You've got, and, and as I said, this goes all the way up to chief exec and directors and beyond. And, and, and then you've got a whole area which, which I call kind of called communities work. So housing and communities have often kind of come together into one area. And actually they are two separate things because how a community, I mean, community is such a broad term anyway. How a community works with yourselves and works with, you know, the residents that are involved in the areas that you work, because some housing associations work nationally. So how are you making sure that the community of your housing association or your local authority is working together in collaboration is absolutely key. Um, and then you've got equality and diversity roles because that's massive. A lot of people we work with and the tenants we support are from any of the nine protected characteristics. So it's how do we get their voices heard and what do they actually want and their resident engagement roles. It is, it is hugely vast. I feel that there isn't enough knowledge really in terms of at school age, certainly for people to understand just, just how vast this sector is and, and why you can get involved. Because some people just think of it as, I don't want to be a support worker. I don't, you know, I don't want to go and work in care. A lot of people in the vast variety, the vast kind of sector of social housing, don't do domiciliary care. They don't do medicine. No. They don't do hands on hygiene. It's helping people understand how to support their tenancy. So there's legal understanding and there's paperwork understanding and it's looking at casework, etc. And then it's actually caring and looking after people and then working your way up and through to whatever level you want to be. Um, and as I say, there's so many housing associations and local authorities in England and, and, and the UK alone. Never mind America, Australia. You know, these countries have all got massive things too so if people want to take their skills abroad they can do that sounds amazing actually and like a real career opportunity and so many people when they get into housing never leave the sector it is something where people say they fall into it and you'll find they've had 30 40 year careers but not doing one role they've done 10 15 20 different roles they'll be project managers they'll be working in development i'm just looking at my my list of roles here you can work in administration you can work in benefits you can work in business partnerships and yet they stay in the sector, but they their careers just take them into areas they never they never thought that they would. And it, it does sound like, you know, it's very rewarding as in terms of, you know, that there really is a need for affordable housing, isn't there? And that that is the problem in the, you know, during even the pandemic, I suppose that that has kind of exacerbated the situation because house prices have gone through the roof, haven't they? And and private rents and and house prices have got to a stage where they aren't affordable for the majority of, you know, in the way that they used to be. I, I completely agree. There was also during the pandemic, a lot of hotels, a lot of um, B&Bs and others, which were obviously closed for other reasons. We're able, you know, we didn't have anybody living homeless during the pandemic. We didn't have that for a year, 18 months. And yet, and, and I'm not put, casting blame here, but because then obviously they could open back up and you could bring people back in those floors which have been set, you know, in the big hotels which have been set aside for anyone who's homeless to just have somewhere to live during what was going on, were evidently closed. But those people still need somewhere to go and they still need homes. And there are 
I was talking with the director of housing yesterday. I met for lunch, a very good friend of mine. And he was saying how there are thousands and thousands of people living in Birmingham alone, nearly 4,000 people living in temporary accommodation, some of which really isn't fit for purpose, but it is what it is, hostels, etc. And there's a gentleman there um, who is in that much debt from previous arrears, from poor decisions, from how his life had gone off the rails, that he will never be able to get sign off from a from a housing association for a resident for a flat anymore or for a property. He will never be able to do it. Aww. Now he's also never going to be able to pay off that debt. Now mm. a housing association, I, the gentleman I was speaking with was saying, look, I will take him on. I will give this gentleman a chance. But evidently we need the council who are telling us they will never chase that debt because they know they will never get that debt to write it off and give this guy a chance. And the council were saying, we won't do that. We know we're never going to get it, but we also won't write it off. So this guy's stuck. This, this, this guy is absolutely stuck. And in there, the narrative really needs to change and legislation really needs to change because so many people have made the wrong decision. Goodness me, I can't say for a second I've made the right ones through my life. There's been a number of times I look back and go, that wasn't you know, the, the correct route or that was, that was a poor move or whatever it will be. For some people, those those exacerbate and grow and develop into much bigger areas. I'm I'm very lucky. Like I said, I rent, but I can afford this place with my partner, and I'm lucky to be able to do so. But when you've got people there who the system is literally saying, "You're going to live in a hostel now," that is your only option. There's something wrong there. There's something definitely wrong there. When when someone else is willing to support them and gives them a chance, they, they've got void properties. Yeah, you know, there are properties that are empty that need someone to live in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saying, come let, let me take this guy on because even if it doesn't work for a few months we'll get some rent in and actually it's given this guy a chance and we'll make that clear and the fact that he isn't being allowed to is it's, it's heartbreaking yeah it, it is absolutely heartbreaking and it's a basic human right isn't it you know to be able to have a home and you know some people have been through i mean i've done a lot of interviews over the years with homeless people and uh, you know surrounding charities and organizations that help them and you know to understand it when they've been through that level of trauma it's really difficult to build yourself back up again isn't it hugely so and and trust is a massive part of that that comes with it but equally trying to build yourself back up and kind of willing to put your hand up and go look I want to change and I want to I want to make this work you need someone to give a chance on you and quite often as a as a as a society there is a stigma that goes with people who live in social housing there are people who you know go oh they live in a homeless hostel whatever it will be they can't be doing very well or whatever that might look like i work with some amazing businesses there's there's one business guy i work with who's doing some amazing work at the moment he lives in a hostel at the moment he was if he took some wrong paths when he was younger he has sorted his life out he's come out of the prison system he's now doing some amazing work and lives in a hostel and works from home in his hostel and he'll you know, at some point he'll get move on accommodation, but he's doing brilliantly. He was given a chance. And I think this is where the big issue lies is there are so many, as you've mentioned there, in terms of the homeless side of things, there is still this massive, massive issue, um, both in terms of how society sees it and in terms of, you know, the resources we need to fix the problem. And they just aren't there because they aren't being funded centrally enough, uh, certainly in my opinion. Um, you know, the, the amount of cuts we've had from the mental health side over the last 10, 12 years 
it's it's horrifying compared to the amount of mental health provision that's out there now compared to where it was. And you see businesses and, and charities fighting for their lives to just kind of stay going because they have to, because they're the people who use them, the service users, are are so reliant on them as a system. Um, and as you've mentioned, housing is a basic right. And if you can get someone into a house, if you can get someone their own home, the amount that can change overnight is unbelievable. And I've got a I've got a round table coming up discussing homelessness and its pairing with domestic violence. And there was a, a, a report that came out from the Domestic Violence Commissioner last week that said housing is not a part of domestic violence support. And it got a huge amount of backlash. And was horrible to see. Because if you are going through domestic violence and you've got young children, if you are going to leave that, if you finally have the courage to step up, because there's so much that goes into it for people to even get the courage to step up and say help. If you don't think that there's anywhere for you to go and your children to be safe, you won't leave. So we have to be doing more. And housing is a massive, massive part of that. And having accommodation available for people is, is everything. Absolutely. So when is that taught then, Matt? Uh, the, the domestic violence, I knew you were going to ask, and I'm just going to put it up. So that one is with, that's on the 22nd of March um, with Leila Doughty. Um, the roundtables that I run are free. Um, they are every single Tuesday at 11am, and we discuss a massive range of topics in some way connected with the social housing sector. So Leila Doughty is, um, who has an Instagram platform and a business called Leila Please Tell My Story, which is all about empowering young people and their voice, um, so domestic violence survivors and their voices, um, and, and trying to make real change in the sector. I've got next few days, um, we've got Natalie Rose Joseph, who is a marketing and communications professional, but who works with um, Arnshaw Women's Aid. That is about changing the stigma of social housing. We've got a huge range coming up. We're discussing customer experience being a buzzword in social housing. What does that mean? We're looking at creating a carers network within the sector. We're looking at what does the new framework for flexible working look like? We're, we're discussing getting contractors to use their corporate social responsibility targets to support tenants and communities rather than other, rather than other services, really kind of giving back to the sector they work in. We have um, a gentleman coming on to discuss being an interim consultant in social housing because you get anyone who's, who's uh, an interim contractor. There are so many opportunities for those in social housing too. We've got um, one on cuckooing and county lines, which is, uh, I've got the amazing Nikki Holmes joining me on that, but that's a really, really interesting, also very harrowing topic. We've got about engaging more young people in housing. We've got an innovation in housing project. Mm. Lots and lots going on. We're fully booked at the moment till nearly the end of May. We're talking at the moment about whether or not we have to up it to almost two round tables a week because so many people want to discuss topics. And I, I genuinely believe this is something that can just continue because when housing people come together change is made when housing people do collaborate and bring forth ideas there is significant change made in the sector for the better but there aren't enough platforms for them to do it and if they are they often charge a lot of money and so if i can put something on that gives a free platform to anyone who wants to join to discuss the key the key issues going on in the sector then then why wouldn't i do it absolutely absolutely and it is a brilliant thing that you're doing so when did you actually first have the idea of putting the social housing roundtable together? I was working for uh, an, an agency as we kind of entered lockdown. Um, I've always enjoyed the, the more physical marketing side of things, getting out, bringing people together, proper networking. Mm. Um, I feel works really, really well. And back then I was running a, a temporary division 
And so we started just bringing people together just to discuss at the time it was, how's your working from home policy going? How's mental health during the pandemic? What are we doing to safeguard people, et cetera? And then I moved businesses and set up a social housing division with that company. Again, about two years ago now. And just found that it was really starting to take off. It was really starting to grow. It was really starting to engage with people because people in housing, as I say, like to like to communicate. They like to talk. They like to network. It is described as a, a very incestuous network. Everyone kind of knows everybody in some vein or another. Um, you only have a kind of two degrees of separation from anyone else in the social housing world. And yet, it is. And like I say, there weren't enough platforms for people to, to come together. And then as it's kind of got more popular and as it's grown, I, I kind of changed it because I was working, as I said, I was working for an agency at the time. And the issue I was always having when I worked for an agency was, it's brilliant that you're doing these, you're clearly enjoying them, you're getting lots of information out, you're learning loads, etc. But what's the return on investment? What's the return? What's the return? When are we going to make money? How heavily are you now marketing the people who are coming to it so you can make, um, you know, so you can start making placements because evidently it was a recruitment industry. And I, and I totally get that. But I think it took away from kind of the corporate social responsibility side that, that it gives, but also that it builds relationships by proving authenticity. It builds relationships by saying, look, I'm not someone who's just trying to recruit for the sector because I know it and can make some money out of it. I care about this and I'm trying to make change. And if you want to partner with me, you're partnering with someone who actually understands the sector. So it's during the pandemic and thought, right, well, I'm gonna set up on my own. Um, and that's when District 4 came along and kind of said, well, we'll give you the back office support. We'll give you a database you know, to utilize. We'll, we'll give you a finance function. We'll give you legal support. You go and do the rest. Um, and so I have, and since then, it's allowed it to really kind of grow fully and, and much quicker over the last year because I haven't been having to report into a director or a chief exec saying, well, look, this is this is the list of people who've been on it. This is how far I am in terms of converting all of them into clients. Because some of them are never going to be clients. Some of some people who come onto it have got preferred suppliers list tied up for three years. That's yeah. absolutely fine. If you want to come on and still have a voice, that's not a problem. I'm not there to pitch you recruitment continually. No. Yes, I'd love to partner with you and work with you as an organisation if you're ethically in the right place and doing things right for both staff and tenants. But what I want you to do is come on and have a voice and understand how, how the industry can change and what we can do to do that. Um, and then I partnered recently with, a, with an amazing lady called Natalie Rose Joseph, who, as I say, is coming on to the roundtable and she's helped look at other areas of what we can do. Um, and I sponsor the upcoming season two of the Community Safety Podcast, which is run by the brilliant Jim Nixon. He is head of Stoke Council. He is also a uh, ex-policeman, um, but his knowledge on terms of antisocial behavior has allowed him to build this podcast. The, the first season uh, reached the top 0.5% in the world on Apple, which was fantastic to see. Mm. Uh, but what it allowed it also to do was every episode again is bringing people on who want to make change in the sector so it was a an easy partnership for us both we now partner together and we touch wood will be holding an awards night at the end of this year which is celebrating those really making change in the social housing world so more details on that to come um but that's something that'll be really exciting because again we don't just want to be another another thing put together that isn't that isn't making change when we have the power to do so
Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer. This is why I do, you know, started a podcast is that, you know, by striking up a conversation, you've got the power to change the world. You know, you, you I, have... I couldn't agree more. And this is a brilliant platform. You know, your, your podcast is brilliant. I'm really grateful to have been invited onto it. So thank you. Oh, no, no, no problem at all. Absolutely. And I mean, you're doing an amazing thing here because social housing really does need to be sorted out doesn't it in in terms of you know making it fit because you can't have a a system that is like a one stop shop you know you've got to have something that takes on everybody's needs and wants for for proper affordable housing you you absolutely do and it's a really interesting one because I, I was speaking with a gentleman recently who is in social housing has been for a number of years and he was saying how he's been on tenant panels and, and scrutiny panels for a fair amount of time now without an awful lot of change coming about and then recently at the end of 2020 there was a white paper released by the government we said you know lots of information but the key thing basically was your customer experience has to improve and your tenants now have to have a better voice at the table because we're getting this wrong mm. you know your tenants and, and the people you're supporting need to have more of a voice um, in order to deliver better customer service. You know, how well are you actually listening to your tenants? And there's been a big change. It's taken a bit of time to get going, but it's definitely having a big change at the moment because you're noticing more resident panels, scrutiny panels, people finding positions in social housing who are either tenants themselves or, or whose role it is to engage better with tenants and understand their voice. And I had an amazing roundtable. Um, we are going to be uploading a lot of them soon onto YouTube with Hannah Harvey, who is the executive director at Saffron Housing. Um, an absolutely amazing woman, absolutely brilliant. And, and again, ex-police herself, but her career is and the, the strides she's making to make change. And she was very, very honest about how three years ago Saffron was failing. They're failing their residents. They were trying to work out why it was becoming more difficult. And so they approached the head of the Facebook group that was complaining about the stock and said, we need your help. We need to get you engaged. We need you to get you properly engaged with the business. You have a voice and we're getting this wrong. How do we get this right? And they had to have a lot of very difficult conversations with tenants and hear how their service was failing. Because a lot of the time what they were doing, and this is again a fault of an awful lot of housing providers, there's in no way malicious. They're doing what they know is best for tenants without asking tenants first. It, it was an incredibly insightful position because they're three years on. They've had to take a lot of heat. They are now improved. It's not even recognisable as a service. The amount of panels they now have so that lots of tenants from different characteristics have got a voice. Um, people forget when we talk about diversity that people tend to either go kind of gender or race. It tends to be the way people immediately think about it. There are nine protective characteristics for a reason. Um, and, you know, there's something that came out recently. We said that on all boards in the housing associations in the UK, there are less than five people from the gypsy traveller community. And yet social housing supports those people. Right. So where's their voice and how is that being heard? And so there's questions like this that are really, really important for the service right. to be asking. Inside Housing is, is a fantastic publication um, that, that strives to highlight a lot of this. Um, and certainly... You know, we a lot of the roundtable topics come from issues that, that arise from that publication. So, you know, you're actually it's it's all over the UK that you're bringing in people to, to sit around the table, literally. One hundred percent. 
and we're actually starting to have talks and it's it's difficult sometimes finding time but there's a couple of people in america and australia because um uh, again a, another client of mine went out to america two three years ago to discuss their homeless situation and while ours is bad in places like san francisco theirs is an awful lot worse yes. and we're giving them advice and guidance on what we're doing here to slowly try and kind of turn things around and to at least be somewhere along the journey um and we're much further on that journey than they are so hearing other voices <laughs> the issue that with, with social housing is nearly everyone who works in it is very very humble and very very these kind of we are this is just what i do which is a brilliant mindset and superb for the kind of people you're supporting but it needs champions it needs people to stand up and go this is the difference that we're making this is what we're doing really 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 proud of that and be more vocal about it because then more people hear about the service they'll hear about what social housing does but also hear about where the shortfalls are which is why when you have the young guy who's you know crazy who's come forward recently and highlighting the issues in some of the big blocks that suddenly has taken things forward you know massively driven things forward because yeah. it's made it's made people stand up and realize and it's trying to make more people accountable and i, I know i mentioned it earlier but accountability is sometimes sorely missing in the sector and you know if, if people can be more accountable and then go right but i'm going to be the one that fixes this we will see significant change yes no i, I can see that that you're absolutely driven to do that it's <laughs> is really amazing though you know that you are on this journey and you you found you know your your purpose basically why you want to do this um, which is is brilliant because you know it does so vastly need to be sorted out. Thank you so much for coming on Tea Time today. I've really enjoyed finding out more about what you do. I mean, such amazing work as well. So really, keep oh, well, thank it up. you. It's been my absolute pleasure to be invited. And as I say, any, anything we can do to to make change to those who need it most, then then all the better for it. So thank you very much for the invite. Absolutely. You take care now. Thanks. Bye. Look forward to chatting with my next guest on the Tea Time Sofa this time next Saturday. In the meantime, if you would love to get in touch about having a chat with me, you can reach me on Tea Time at forthenow.co.uk. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on Tea Time with AM. Bye for now.